Hey now, we are getting over, and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times. That uh, with the WWE edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, getting over is back once again to break down everything that happened this week on SmackDown, on Raw, and in the world of WWE. And there is plenty going on these days in the world of WWE. Now, of course, my, our co-host here, Vintage Chris Vanini, will be joining me momentarily. But before we get to him, before we get to the show, folks, we take care of business here on Getting Over and remind you... It's all about the five here on the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. That means heading on over to Apple Podcasts, dropping a five-star rating, giving us a review, letting people know how much you love the show. I believe we got a review uh, this past week from New Zealand, so shout out to you over there. Uh, yeah, we are international here on Getting Over, and we our goal is to get you over internationally as well. So if you're uh, whether you're domestic in the United States, whether you're overseas, send in those DM slides. Send in those tweets and we will make sure to read you on the show. And the way you can do that, of course, is by following us and interacting with us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. There's every reason in the world to do that. We talk about the shows live while they're on the air, obviously pay-per-views as well as television. We tweet polls, uh, news. We just get into everything that you could possibly get into. In fact, the Silver Kings even dipped his toe into some historic uh, pictures and video. I sent one out recently of uh, Randy Orton and Andre the Giant, which I found to be pretty interesting. So follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast and get immersed in the Getting Over universe. So Chris, time to welcome you in. Thanks for joining. Look, uh, I got to say, it's extremely difficult for me to talk about WWE on this show, right? SmackDown was actually really good again, but everything about the company right now, it just feels like it's shrouded in negativity. It's like, how do we put aside the Bray Wyatt release, Adam Cole's contract expiring without many people knowing, Ric Flair being granted his release, and then actually talk about the product while all of the shit is swirling around it? WWE feels like it's in some like self-inflicted downward spiral. What happens when John Cena goes back to the movies and Brock Lesnar doesn't come back? As it is, there's no one In the Raw main event scene right now, you have the champion Bobby Lashley and literally no one else. But forget the on-air product for a second. We know SmackDown and NXT are good and we know Raw basically sucks week to week. But WWE, it feels to me, dude, has actively managed to sap the life out of itself from a branding standpoint, at least as far as its tentpole wrestling fans are concerned. They are actively alienating their core audience. And while I may be able to forget about that during SmackDown or NXT because I'm being actively entertained by what's on the screen, thinking about it is somewhat unavoidable when you're watching the slog that is a three-hour Raw when you already kind of enter the show with a sour taste in your mouth. Yeah, I mean, we all talk about WWE in a kind of meta way anyway. Like every win or loss has to be some greater message. It's right. so it's so rarely about specifically what's happening in the stories, which we tried to do more on here. But but WWE's always been like that because frankly they haven't for a long time deserved the benefit of the doubt on telling those stories. And now you throw this uh, on top of everything that it's the number of releases they've had throughout the year, uh, all this other stuff going on. If 
folks, if if you haven't listened to the Bray Wyatt episode we did over the weekend, we went deep on basically WWE versus AEW and where these companies kind of stand. And yeah, WWE just constant negative headlines. Feels like things are trending downward a bit while AEW is the complete opposite direction with rumors of potential signings and who could show up. And the last handful of shows they've done have been really good. And then you get to you get to the on-screen stuff and you don't understand how SmackDown and Raw are the same company. And it's just a very, very strange thing. And we, we always do the show after Raw. We do it either the night of or the morning after Raw. So we come in typically sometimes in a bit of a bad mood because we're coming right. off of typically not a good Raw. And we have to reflect and remember what was a very good SmackDown on Friday. And that's the case once again here. That's a great point. When If we were to tape the show after SmackDown, which I don't think logistically either of us want to do on a Friday night or a Saturday morning, nor do I think it would be good for listenership. You know, I don't think you guys, even though you do listen to shows when we publish them on Fridays and Saturdays, there's a huge impact on Tuesday when we publish the show where everyone jumps on, listens to it. And I can tell by the numbers. So it doesn't make sense for us unless we did daily shows, which we're not going to do because we have lives. Um, it wouldn't really make sense to, to do it. But yeah, like we're really positive. And I think it's only really occasionally that you and I talk after shows, but I'll text you sometimes for SmackDown and be like, damn, like that was a great show. But after Raw, we just know what each other thinks. And this was shit. Like yep. we watched three hours of largely shit. Not everything necessarily was terrible, but most of it was, you know? And, and you really get that feeling when you turn on a WWE show and you turn on a AEW show. I, I mean, SmackDown and AEW, when they start, there's like energy and you can feel it. You can feel the excitement when the show is starting. When the Raw is starting, you can just feel the dread everywhere in the arena. It's true. On Twitter. It, it, it's just a complete, it's a complete, uh, completely different feeling when, when Raw is coming on. It's true. I was really impressed with AEW's crowd on Wednesday, and, and I have been for a couple of weeks. And then when we got SmackDown on Friday, I was like, damn, this crowd is hot. I think it was Minneapolis, maybe. They were yeah. on fire, and it was awesome, and it lifted the entire show. But yeah, then you go to Raw in Chicago, of all places, which yes. we want to talk about a hot crowd. Chicago has a hot crowd, and they sat on their hands, or they chanted CM Punk, which I know is unavoidable anyway, but... It was just the show was bad. The crowd didn't help because the show was bad. They didn't give them a reason to cheer, except for in very specific certain spots. It's just, yeah, watching Raw on Monday, it's a slog at this point. And I don't really know that it's going to get better. One other thing. Real quick, real quick, real quick. You mentioned CM Punk there. This is a reminder. This is on the same day that AEW sold out the United Center, in part because people think there might be a CM Punk show. That WWE is in Chicago. In a sold and out venue. I don't know where they were. but They, they were at the, the Rosemont Horizon again, or whatever it's called now. Allstate Arena. Allstate Arena. Arena. Yeah. yeah and, and, but they put on a show that was, that could have been, that could have taken place anywhere. The, the, other than yes. people saying Chi-Town, there was nothing special about the show. And I think that's a common thing with Raw, especially now that we've gotten fans back, is that WWE still just going through its motions and it's not, other than a couple of surprise returns and a title change with a cash in, it's not presenting the show any different than it used to. By the way, main event, no holds barred match, right? You're in Chicago. Why not do a Chicago street fight? I know it's just a label. I know it's just a label. Why not do a Chicago street fight and have Nikki Ash, instead of her cape, wear that light blue and red and white Chicago flag as there her cape? 
There you go. Boom. Now you're popping the crowd even more. You're giving them a reason to root for it. Like these little small things, like you talk about AEW, the entrance that they had for the 10 man match. That's not something they normally do. They did it to pop the crowd and the crowd popped. There's no reason that WWE can't do some little things like that. Uh, you know, Cubs adjacent, Bears adjacent, Bulls adjacent, sports things, and just get people riled up in a, in a city that you know should be riled up for your product. But the fact right. that Chicago was not hot for wrestling, that says all you need to about the, the WWE Raw product right now. And I do draw a distinction because I do think they're very different. One other thing before we get to the main event is regarding Ric Flair. I'm not 100% sure that his release is that surprising. Some may not realize this, but in addition to the guy obviously being 72 and not being used on television, there is supposedly a brand new Dark Side of the Ring episode that's coming out. It's their season finale on the plane ride from hell. And if anyone knows the story of the plane ride from hell, stuff that happened on that flight involving Ric Flair was not good. So I would not be surprised if this is just as much a PR move on WWE's part as it is anything else. I just think that's something that people need to keep in mind here. Uh, It's always good to see Flair, but his contribution level these days is really minimal. I'm sure he'll be re-signed or paid for appearances at some point in the future, whether he signs or makes appearances for AEW or not. He always comes back to WWE eventually. The guy has basically worked for every wrestling organization that's had television ever. So I I don't really put much stock in Ric Flair being released. Although I know for some people, it's just more shit collecting to the ball that's rolling down the hill. Yeah, I I, I don't, again, I don't know about the dark side of the ring stuff. I saw some people think he may have asked for his release. I I, I don't know. Um, But you, you, you figured, you know, once they started traveling, maybe he wouldn't be traveling as much compared to when it was easier to just stay in Orlando or Tampa and go to the Thunderdome all the time. So um, uh, I, I saw NWA actually uh, tweeted that they'd love to have Rick on. So I, I'd love to see that. Get him down that to Georgia. Cool. Get him down to Georgia. Let him cut a, a, an NWA promo. You want to talk about getting getting a crowd and popping some people. That's what that, that'll do it. I liked NWA the few times I watched it, but I get yeah, me too. I just completely stopped caring. And then obviously the pandemic pandemic happened. I got out of it, but it, it was a fun little thing. It was fun. And Flair on there just for one time would be really, really cool just yep. to see that. He, that should definitely happen. You're right. All right. So with that out of the way, folks, you know what time it is. The time is now for the main event. This is the main event. So it's a two part main event this week, both on SmackDown, because we wanted to keep the main event positive for you. Uh, so let's start with John Cena, who opened SmackDown and played off the missionary position line that Roman Reigns dropped last week. And I do have some audio for you. Side note, if you can find somebody who makes missionary position entertaining for two decades, keep them in your life. It's going to be worth it, I promise. <laughs> uh, yeah, pretty damn good line, John. I'll give you that one. He was hysterical the whole segment. He even dropped the line about The Rock. Cena said he's happy for Finn Balor getting a Universal Championship contract signing for SummerSlam, but it proves that Roman Reigns is a scared little bitch. By the way, it wasn't until like, two hours before the show that we even knew the challenge was for the title and was for a match at SummerSlam. Cena then told Reigns, of course, he's the same dude as when he left, while Reigns has to change every two years because fans don't believe in him and Reigns doesn't believe in himself. The fans did some asinine what chance. Cena said he'd have embarrassed Reigns at SummerSlam 
and that Reigns is afraid to fight him because he's scared to fail again. I thought it was a really hot ass promo from Cena. And outside of the what stuff, uh, he sold their program extremely well in this. Yeah, it, it started off a little too jokey for me when he was doing the rock catchphrases and Stone Cold Steve Austin catchphrases. But then but then when it got serious and you were, and it reminds you that Cena's one of maybe one of the best ever to to do this, C- calling him Joe, you know, love a good shoot name being thrown in there. Um, it, it, once it turned serious, it got me it got me into it. And although calling Roman a product of the system was uh, incredibly <laughs> There was incredible lack of self-awareness in that, <laughs> even though it's, I mean, I mean, they both very much are, are a product of the same uh, system. But no, this was good. It's set up. But you're right. That whole dynamic was weird because you have the contract signing coming up, but Cena's here challenging him. And so you're kind of like, all right, well, what's going to happen here? And it set the tone for the show where you're interested in how it's going to play out. Right. And you, you know, shenanigans are at foot. You're just like, how are they going to do this where I'm not going to be mad? Yeah. That is really that's how I went into it. I'm like, how are they going to screw Finn Balor and put John Cena in the match and have it make sense and have me not angry? And we'll get to whether I was or wasn't. We'll talk about that in a second. So Baron Corbin came out. His hair and beard were still completely unshaved. He's explaining how pathetic his life has become, including not being able to get it up with his wife and also noted that his wife and kids left him. There was banter and crowd work. Cena gave him a few dollars. But Corbin insulted Cena when he refused to give him more and called him a sellout. Cena then gave him an attitude adjustment, literally. Uh, The Corbin part I thought was okay, but it went on twice as long as it needed to. It just felt like it was dragging. And it was also really confusing because he seemed to be making a face turn. And now here he is in a typical Baron Corbin comes out as a heel and takes a finisher. He did it to The Rock and Becky Lynch. And now here he is doing it to Cena. I, I I told you a couple weeks ago when I said this is, could be a really good face turn, but instead I think it's Vince McMahon thinking poor people are funny. I don't see a face turn coming out of this at all. Like like now he now he's throwing in the insults, calling John a sellout, um, where where he's getting in a position where he deserves to take the finishing move. Essentially, the, I don't think this is a face turn, and it sucks because when it when this whole thing started, Corbin's been doing a very good job in this role. But it's pretty clear that they're not doing it to build sympathy for him now. I mean, I mean, a week ago, he gets hit in the nuts with a thing from the tank and Kevin Owens gives him some money. Uh, but but, you know, coming into this week where, oh, Cena, Cena does a finisher to him. That that's like you said, it's like the rock thing, the Becky Lynch thing. It's very much heel takes a finisher, crowd cheers. Don't think about it any more than that. And I think that's all this is. And it sucks. Well, it, it wouldn't have been more than that, except that he played into this later, which we'll get to in a second. The one thing I'll say is. Even if it's not a face turn, which I only really want a face turn for him because it's different. It's yeah. really yeah. far different from anything he's done before. Even this gimmick is different, though. And it is a way to end King Corbin. So it is successful to me, no matter whether he goes face or heel. But I do think face, if I was booking it, would be the way to go just because it'd be a little bit more unique and a little bit fresher than Baron Corbin still as heel. And it really started off in a way where you could see them build this into a face turn and it could work. But I thought he was going to team up with Kevin Owens and yeah. they could possibly take the titles off the Usos. It's kind yeah. of where I yeah. was leaning. But but doesn't seem like they want to do that. Doesn't seem like it. Okay, so next was the contract signing. Adam Pierce promised it would be a clean segment without any fighting. Reigns said <laughs> that sat down at the head of a table, by the way, which is so great. He always does that on these segments. Just a great touch. Yes. And he, he told Balor, who was there, that Cena thinks he's a lesser man than him, but Reigns believes 
Balor's worthy of a title shot, which I thought was pretty cool. Reigns warned Balor that if he signs the contract, he would smash him and send him back to NXT. Then Reigns hysterically gave Paul Heyman the microphone to drop on the table for him, which I thought was just fucking incredible. Um, So he signs the contract, Reigns. Balor says if he does return to NXT, he'll be doing it as the Universal Champion. And just as Balor was about to sign, Corbin brutally attacked him from behind. Corbin then tried to sign the contract when Cena ran out, grabbed it, and signed it himself. Later, Pierce and Sonya Deville said they didn't care that Balor's name was on it because they got two signatures that they needed. They're happy. So they've taken Universal Championship matches away from not only Seth Rollins, but also Finn Balor in the last month. The fans loved this, but that's not in any way really how contracts work. Also, no. <laughs> Cena signing it literally did what Roman Reigns accused him of in 2017. Hold on. But what are you really going to do, John? What are you going to do, huh? You're going to jump off that bus with that big-ass shuffle. That big shut. That big shovel, that's what you're going to do. And you're going to bury as much young talent as you can. Because that's what you do, right? That's how you stay on top of the mountain. I mean, John Cena stayed on top of the mountain by taking a championship match away from a younger talent in Finn Balor. Let's just be honest at what happened here, right? So Reigns also nailed it, I thought saying that Cena saw Balor as lesser than him because how is it not a heel move or at least a disrespectful disrespectful move to steal a title match from Balor, who's not only a babyface, but is massively over and got huge pops throughout this entire thing. Now, I didn't hate this per se because it was entertaining and it was exciting. The crowd popped in a major way and it set up two feuds, not just Reigns and Cena, but Balor and Corbin, whether that happens on the pay-per-view, whether it happens on the go home SmackDown or whether it happens three times. I don't know, but they set up two feuds and there's also precedent to this because Shawn Michaels did this to get in the main event of WrestleMania 20. But we just have to justly note that it was nonsensical and it could have probably been booked better, even with the same storyline. Maybe this is just one of those situations, Chris, where we have to suspend disbelief because it's wrestling. But I feel like it just could have been done in a way where Cena crossed off Balor's name, got a nod in the moment from Pierce and DeVille, and then signed it. Or honestly, Pierce could have just come up to Paul Heyman and said, hey, Paul, card subject to change, throwing it in his face what Paul Heyman did to Adam Pierce, you know, a couple months yes. ago back in that feud. So any of those things would have been better than this, <laughs> but that doesn't mean this was bad. I still thought it was really good. It, yeah, it, well, first off, you you played that bit about Roman talking about John burying young talent. Roman starts off this promo by putting Finn over. And I'm 90% sure he said you're young. He said you're young and hungry. I'm pretty sure that's what he said. He's not young, but yes. He's he's 40. He's just turned 40. (laughs) He is older than Roman Reigns. I just want to But to be fair, he looks 30. He looks great. He looks, he does not look 40 at all. I just wanted to note that. Um, I, small thing, Roman first signs the contract and Pat McAfee says, that paper is worth a lot of money now. I popped for that. that. That was a good little line now that it's got Roman's autograph on there. And then this whole thing happens and it ends with commentary apoplectic saying that's not how contracts work. I'm pretty sure that doesn't count. So when the segment ended, I was like, 
okay, it was fine. They're clearly like letting us know that that's not how it works. We'll get some resolution to this. But then they just announced it that, oh, nope, it counts and we're going. And that's when I got kind of annoyed. That's when I was like, why, why, why resolve it like that? Why not just exactly what you like have Cena and Finn talk backstage and then come to some sort of agreement because. Or, or not even that, dude. Have uh, Adam Pierce call, be, you know, fake, be on a fake phone call with WWE's lawyers. Hey, hey guys, so this is what happened, blah, blah, blah. You think this is passable? Can we make this work? And then he comes out and says, yeah, it's official. Sure, but either way, like, they've, already an- they've announced Finn versus Corbin, but, like, the first time I see Finn on SmackDown, he should be furious at John Cena. They didn't even go back to Finn. No. I totally agree. Like, yep. and I'm, and I'm, like, it's not burying Finn, but man, it's such a bait and switch to end the previous SmackDown with Roman Finn, which we're all excited for, then to pull it away from us. And then I'm worried they're just going to pretend it didn't happen, basically. And he was just he was just he was just a plot device to get us from one episode to the next. Well, true. But I mean, I think we should have every anticipation that he is the next challenger. I hope so. I, I just I want that acknowledgement of or from Finn that He's still coming for you and he's pissed at John Cena because he should be. He so, should have, he should have been given the opportunity backstage or somewhere to cut yes. a promo before the so show. So I just I just I don't totally. I don't want to get a Finn entrance and he's having a match with Corbin and we're just like pretending we're just gonna have commentary speak for him or something like that. I just I, we, just give me some sort of resolution that way. So it, it, overall this was good. It was just I think a lot of us are kind of irked that they did Finn that way. Right. And that's really the, the thing is he's so over. Like yeah. And he's just returned. It's one right. thing if you did that with Kevin Owens, who is also incredibly over, but has been there. Right. And and, and so people know that KO is going to get a shot or KO can talk for himself. He has his own talk show segment. Balor doesn't really get those promo opportunities, even though he's really good on the mic. So, yes, he should have been able to say something before the show was out backstage, even just, you know, this is bullshit. This was ridiculous. Walks out of the arena, anything like that. And then this week coming up on Friday, yes. You give him promo time to kind of say, hey, this is bullshit. I respect Cena. Uh, Reigns is a coward. If he can actually get past Cena, which I doubt he can, then I'm the next challenger next month. Like anything like that would be totally a great way to sell this. But yes, to your point and to my point, this was really, really good and really exciting and entertaining and fun, but also didn't make the most sense from a, you know, Legal standpoint, I guess, right? Yeah. That's yeah. not really how contracts yeah. work. But all right, we enjoyed it, and that's a good thing. So Raw, the main storyline, I'm sorry, Smack, God, for, holy crap, where did that come from? SmackDown, the main storyline, of course. Very, very good. And let's stay with SmackDown for the second part of the main event, which involves the women. Bianca Belair was interviewed in the ring by Kayla Braxton. She got serenaded by the crowd, which was really good to hear her get big cheers. Carmella came out, and the crowd booed, but they didn't boo because she was a heel. But they are just sick of repetitive bullshit and thought we were getting repetitive bullshit. I did too. They worked me when Carmella came out. She demanded a third title shot, which immediately let out Zelina Vega, who has not won a single thing since returning, to demand one for no reason whatsoever. And then in the moment, Belair seemed to accept Vega's challenge, which may have been a verbal mistake or something because of what else happened on the show, which we'll talk about. The heels started beating down Belair when suddenly Sasha Banks ran out for the save in a return that got a massive ovation from the crowd. She lifted Belair and gave her a huge hug, full baby face turn, even though she was never much of a heel at WrestleMania. 
Now, when I thought it was going to be Belair versus Vega, I thought it was pathetic and completely unjustified. But I'm not going to come to that conclusion because of what else is going to happen here. I'm going to save any talk about what the SummerSlam match is going to be for next week. I believe we're probably going to know the direction by the time we finish this segment right here. But I thought Banks' return in the moment was great, even though the Vegas stuff didn't make any sense. Yes, it, it, it surprised me. It was a great surprise return for a reason. And I mean, she was a heel at WrestleMania and did a lot of heelish things. But, you know, we remember the, the two of them, you know, tearing up at the beginning. We remember them together for the SB. So it made sense for that for her to just come back and kind of be in that position. Uh, so it was good. One one thing that a little, just kind of annoyed me a little bit was that they didn't really linger on her return. Like Sasha's back, crowd's going wild. Then we cut to commentary and they start talking about uh, Shayna and Nia before going to commercial. It's kind of a weird way to, to end the segment. But what happens on later in the show kind of changes that. So then we got a tag team match, Bianca Belair and Sasha Banks versus Carmella and Zelina Vega. This was the main event of the show. By the way, female main events for SmackDown and Raw, which is not the first time, but it's awesome that it happened again. Belair press slammed Banks onto the heels outside. Sasha did the three amigos to Zelina, followed by a frog splash. But Mella broke up a fall uh, that Vega actually kicked out of anyway. Mella hit an X-Factor on Sasha, who reversed another one into a backstabber and a bank statement to a huge crowd response. They hugged and danced together after the match until Banks caught Belair blind with a backstabber, hit a spinning tornado DDT, and a bank statement to completely incapacitate Belair, who tapped out in the middle of the ring. Banks then snapped and locked Belair in the bank statement a second time as booze rained down. The crowd was hot as hell for it. And let's be honest, the end of SmackDown was better than the entirety of their WrestleMania feud. That moment, the turn, the attack, was better than anything they did on the build to WrestleMania. I thought it was a tremendous return segment for Banks. And I think that I speculated on this show last week or two weeks ago that they could just run this back for SummerSlam, Banks and Bel Air. And that's what they're doing. Uh, It's the right call given the state of the SmackDown women's division right now. And look what happens, Chris, when you actually give the women something to chew on booking-wise. They deliver and the crowd responds to it. This whole thing was a massive success, except maybe that little bit with Vega and Carmella coming out where you're like, man, neither of them should be contenders. But it set up the match. It set up the heel turn. It really worked for me. It it totally worked. I mean, you didn't like that Carmella and Zelina were clamoring for a a title shot, but who else deserves the title shot? That's that's the problem. The, the, The women's division, especially in SmackDown, has so few women that it really highlighted the problem with the division, and then you get Sasha's comeback, and like, oh, boom, there, there's a jolt of energy. There's something new we needed in the division. So it, it just added on to itself. Finish was great. Crowd was hot for that. Sasha's much better as a heel. And you're right. The, the, the WrestleMania feud was terrible. They started off as friends, and then they were jealous, and it, it, it was a mess. But what this is doing is making we, we remember the WrestleMania match in the moment. We have kind of forgotten how bad the feud was. And that's kind of what we get with WrestleMania a lot. So now this is building off of that WrestleMania moment. We're remembering that it was such it was something they accomplished together and made history. And it was a big deal. And then Sasha saying, I don't even, I don't care about that. I just want the title. So great story. 
love all this. Uh, I'm excited for it. Me too. And lastly here, I did want to shout out our listener. I think it's A.L. Steven Mann with two N's. He said uh, he was at SmackDown. He reported that Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn had a dark match with KO getting the biggest pop of the entire night. I, I'm telling you, man. He's I, I, so over. He, at, at Money in the Bank, he got he got one of the biggest pops. His entrance for the Money in the Bank match got by far the biggest pop of anybody in that match, including Big E. Um, this is why this is why I thought he was an option to win that match, just because he is crazy over with everybody. And he's a guy you can throw into a title feud at any time and people will be all in on it. And he also noted, like we were talking about the crowd, not just us, the crowd was confused that Baron Corbin was working heel when they also, I guess, yeah. thought he would be doing a face turn as well. So that's all pretty interesting. All right, Chris. So with the main event out of the way, and it was a quick one this week, let's move to the good, the bad, and the ugly. We have the best music on the show. Best soundboard, best tracks, uh, best theme song, getting us in and out. I love the music on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast, if I do say so myself. Did a little Barry Horowitz pat on the back there. Yes, All right. Yes, yes. Let's start with Edge. Uh, Edge made his way to the ring on SmackDown. And WWE went to commercial. SmackDown comes back from commercial and Seth Rollins is in the ring. So then WWE shows an entire Rollins attack on Edge that took place during the break and ended with Rollins smashing Edge in the face with a camera. Now, I couldn't decide whether this was unique and unpredictable, something a different way to do it, or a totally poor decision. Rollins screamed that he's a revolutionary. Guy apparently now thinks he's Fred Hampton or something like that. Uh, The crowd chanted for Becky. Rollins said, if he can't be the universal champion, neither can Edge. I do think the attack would have been far better live, but I see both sides of it. Doing it during the commercial break, unexpected, uh, Rollins being kind of a dick and asshole attacking him from behind. That makes sense as well. It was definitely a good progression of their storyline and a good segment overall. I just may have flipped which part was taped and which part was live. Right. And they've since coming back with crowds, they've tried some different things, I think, to keep the live crowd into it when it goes to commercial. They've been doing a lot of entrances during commercial breaks, which honestly, I don't think it's probably it's probably a good thing overall. But this was weird because this was the most heat these two have had, you know, in this feud since. And we don't get to feel that live. And instead, we get Seth for the second week in a row explaining himself we, we've already basically heard that promo and so that's why yeah i, I would have flipped it it, it was it, it, it was a little weird i think to do it that way it was a pretty good beat down too using the camera stuff like that i, I feel like we really missed the moment with that it was it, promos i mean the story's gonna be fine these guys are great we're into it just uh interesting decision there also seth's music is terrible <laughs> it it still it, it like just just take out the burn it down it's it's been freaking a year I, I mean if you're gonna do the burn it down just go back to the original burn it down theme like you can it, it's okay if he's a heel Sami Zayn is a heel and still has his really cheery music I don't know if, I just I don't like the Seth music at least with the burn it down um it doesn't it's like the Keith Lee uh changing the music but keeping the beginning it's just a little weird. Go back to Seth's music or just get rid of the burn it down. But just to clarify, you're with good for that segment also? 
Good. Yes. Yeah, sorry. Good okay. That's okay. That's okay. All right. We'll move on to Bobby Lashley and MVP opening Raw with MVP saying he respects Goldberg, but telling him Lashley ain't no normal man. Fans booed Goldberg's name first, only to then chant it three times quite loudly <laughs> later in the show. Goldberg said Lashley and MVP look scared, then talked about himself in the third person and said he's great despite his age. Lashley stood there looking stoic and didn't even respond to him. Then when Goldberg walked out, uh, Lashley stared down his son before MVP trash-talked the kid. Goldberg came from out of nowhere and speared MVP. Lashley then backstage accepted the challenge later in the show. I have no idea why they waited. Rather than having Lashley grab the mic and angrily accept the challenge and pull the trigger in front of the crowd, which would have popped for it. Now, I have no interest in this match, but as much as I don't like Goldberg being in there, don't like really, there's no storyline to it, all that. This was actually good for what it was. Like Lashley cut a good promo. MVP cut a good promo. Goldberg got the crowd going. They were cheering for him. Involving the crowd, uh, involving the kid, I should say, I'm sorry, was unnecessary. And it didn't add a single thing to the booking. But I'm actually going to surprisingly go with good here because it succeeded in its mission. Look, I, I told you that I don't hate Goldberg stuff except for the actual match. And this is an example of the reason why. He did a good job with that promo because there were there were crowds trying to get to him and he just basically yelled through it. And it, it worked. And it, it, it got the chance to stop. Um, so, so it worked. And yes, fans love the Goldberg chant. This was in Chicago and they're chanting Goldberg when he's not even out there. Like, like I can understand WWE's reaction to thinking people like Goldberg because you get chants like that. And and so, yeah, this was overall good. It was weird to hype up Lashley will respond to the challenge later in the show and then to just do it backstage. Like, in, thir- I, I get, in 30 seconds, not even. Right. Yeah. I Like, I get if you don't want to do it right there and you want to hold it for later, but then make it a big deal when he does it later as opposed to what you said. The, the, the kid, the stuff with his kid, is that the same kid? Yes. We saw from a few years. That kid sprouted up big time. We got, we, we got another Dominic Mysterio on our hands here or, or something like that. So, um, yeah, this this was good. Again, I, I think this is going to be fine up until the match. And that's exactly what this was. So the two-minute match where it's hopefully a squash for Lashley. I mean, just, <laughs> yes. I, I, the, again, it's not a problem having Goldberg on TV. The problem is having Goldberg in WWE championship matches. Sure. That's the problem. You want him to fight a Dolph Ziggler equivalent person? Have him come in and beat the shit out of Baron Corbin or whoever else? That's fine. It's totally fine. No one's going to complain about Goldberg on a pay-per-view card. He doesn't need to be challenging for the WWE Championship. And the main event division of Raw right now, it is a wasteland. There is no face challenger right now. None for Bobby Lashley. Drew can't challenge. Keith Lee, we'll talk about. He just came back anyway. Orton, we haven't seen in a month. Riddle is in the tag team storyline, and none of those guys anywhere are built up to be a main event except Orton. Of no, it, it, we talk about SmackDown and Raw and one show feeling like a big deal and one not. It's because there are no stars on. There's on no stars. Raw. Yeah, I mean, even Lashley, I would not put him on the level of an edge or a something. He's a really good heel champion, and I'm, yes. he's doing a great job in his role. But he has his foil was McIntyre. But instead of them taking their time and allowing Drew to be the one to challenge for the title and take the championship off Lashley at SummerSlam. They rushed it. They give him a stipulation where he can't challenge for it again. And now there's no one. Meanwhile, over on SmackDown, you have not just obviously John Cena, who's back, but you easily have Kevin Owens, who could step right back into that. 
because he nearly beat him three different times. You have Finn Balor, you have Big E. There's a ton of other people who could step up and become a main eventer. Cesaro recently challenged for the title. Mm -hmm. Shinsuke Nakamura could challenge for the title. I mean, it's endless. On Raw, you have nobody. And Raw's an hour longer than SmackDown. That is part of your problem, not even counting the booking and all the other bullshit. Okay, let's move from the men to the women. Over on Raw, we had Nikki Ash against Charlotte Flair in a no-holds-barred, non-title main event. Now, the show began with Flair coming out looking great as usual, saying she empathized with Simone Biles because Flair herself nearly had a nervous breakdown after Nikki Ash cashed in the briefcase on her. Let me just say, WWE always tries to bring pop pop culture into its product and mention, especially things that are involved in sports that are big news. She didn't say anything wrong or bad here. She didn't insult Simone Biles at all. It was completely unnecessary to bring her up. It made no sense. Like she had to be like, wait, 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 I'm getting to something here because the crowd started to react in a way. It was forced. Yeah. Yeah, and she had to like, Explain it. it made no sense whatsoever. It wasn't insulting her. It it literally didn't make any sense. It was just bad. It shouldn't have, it just shouldn't have happened. It, again, it yes. wasn't insulting. It just shouldn't have. It was stupid. Anyway, Charlotte then expertly shut down Becky Chance and completely controlled the crowd as she complained about being the victim of money in the bank cashins on three different occasions. And I really liked them pulling from history here to explain why she is so particularly bothered by what Nikki did in this case. It made sense, but it should have been said two weeks ago. Nikki then attacked her from behind with a chair and later cut a babyface promo backstage. Is there anything you want to say before I move on? Uh, no, other than Charlotte is very good as a promo, continues to do a great job controlling the crowd. I We already said the Simone Biles thing. Let me see if I had anything. Oh, uh, when Nikki shows up to, to hit Charlotte from behind, uh, we didn't see her. That was... I, I love that the camera stayed on Charlotte. So it was like a surprise to us. Yeah. As a viewer. So, so many times they'll cut the camera. So you see it from behind and it's coming and they don't give you that surprise. So again, I'm, I'm noting a lot of little production things here, but I, I liked the way they handled that. Well, you got the organic crowd kind of yeah. reaction yeah. and they did it with Goldberg also when he speared MVP, they kept him off screen. They, they angled the camera so you couldn't see him immediately leaving. And then you saw him at the last second run down and spear MVP. So yeah. I, do, I do like the way they did both of those things. As far as the match goes, Charlotte brutalized Nikki. The crowd chanted for a table and Flair got one. She speared Nikki through the barricade, which really pops the crowd before the break. Nikki drop kicked the chair into Flair's head and then hit a tornado DDT outside. I think there were CM Punk chants at one point. Charlotte kept killing Nikki and then powerbombed her really hard into the announce table. That thing doesn't even break for men sometimes. And it broke with Nikki going into it. She actually rolled over a little bit on her neck, but she ended up being okay. Flair tried to standing fall, but Nikki kicked out. The crowd was then legitimately on its feet for the finish, which I did not think was going to be the case halfway through the match. It was really nice to see they were getting excited. Nikki dodged a spear and Flair put herself through a table in the corner. She still kicked out of a pinning combination. Uh, There were then this is awesome chance. And Nikki grabbed Flair, put her on the ropes and hit a draping twisting neckbreaker, which had long been her finisher, for the squeaky clean one, two, three on Charlotte Flair. I got to give credit where it's due. This match was fun, and it was a really good piece of booking. The crowd was up and down, but it got really hot for the finish. The champion, Nikki, outsmarted Flair again, hit a strong move, and got a clean pin. Now, this does not make up for the fact that it was a rematch 
from last week, which was a rematch from all the other matches that they've had recently. And the booking of this feud continues to be overall shit. But we are judging weekly in the good, the bad, and the ugly. And for this week, this was good. This was a great match, and the crowd was really into it. They got time. They got physical. This got Nikki Ash over more than anything they've done with her so far. Because they made her look strong. Yes, they let her do wrestling, and they let her look like a good wrestler. Like At the end of the day, that's what we want to see from people. you got to let them put in the work, and that's what they did here. It, it, It was... It, it, it was great. Is it the larger story? I don't know. I just know that Nikki Ash is a lot more over now coming out of that than she was maybe even when she cashed in. Like now we believe in her. Now, again, we said this last week, the story's kind of going backwards because she already won the title and, and now she looks like she's formidable. But this was a great segment on Monday. Um, uh Oh, one thing about Charlotte's promo, she called her Nikki Cross a bunch of times. She did. In the promo. And she has said Nikki Ash before. Commentary still only says A-S-H. Figure out what you want to call her. Call her Nikki Ash. It's fine. It's still annoying to deal with that small thing in, in the larger picture. But still. I think it's and a good wrestling name also, by the way. It is. Nikki yeah, Ash it, is a good name. It's close, And it's close to Nikki Cross. Like, it's 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 fine. And this was, this was a good way to end the show. It, it was... And in credit WWE, so this was SmackDown and Raw, both were women's main events, right? Yeah, that's what I said earlier. And, yep. Yeah, and if you go back to last Monday, this was the main event. Wasn't There's it? been three straight women's three main straight. events on Raw. Yeah, so yeah. credit to WWE for for giving them the time to to do that. And the last two have been really good. And one other thing, Nikki ending the show, leaving through the crowd in Chicago, just made me think of CM Punk. Back in the day, I don't know if she did that on purpose. I don't know if it was just she wanted to do it or if it was in a reference to anything, but uh, that was cool. We do need to say that we complained for months and and it was all legitimate that SmackDown, they had three minute women's matches, if that, and it was insulting and ridiculous with no storylines. Raw, they had longer matches, but the storylines were absolute dog shit. I don't think the Raw storyline is good. This didn't save it. It did improve it though, I have to say. But both shows for the main event have legitimate women's storylines and are giving the women a good amount of time in matches. And that is a marked improvement and that deserves to be noted. But again, right now, we're really only dealing with like the main storyline on both shows that's getting time. There's no secondary storyline whatsoever on SmackDown. And the one that we got on Raw that we'll talk about in a little bit uh, got three minutes and was dog shit. So, you know, it's an improvement, but we're still not there where we used to be. Uh, when Becky was around, when Ronda Rousey was around, we got to still keep going, keep improving it. But we did get two good women's matches, in my opinion, at least on Raw. The other being Rhea Ripley and Nia Jax. Uh, Jax dodged a cannonball off the ring apron, so Ripley hit Shayna Baszler with it. And then Jax took out Ripley with a Samoan drop at ringside. Jax dominated the offense and got a near fall with a leg drop. She also got her head busted open pretty bad. Ripley won with a roll-up because heaven forbid a recent women's champion and current number one contender win any other way. After the match, though, Baszler screamed at Jax and walked out on her, finally. So now they may split them up after already splitting up Reginald from Jax, which was a pairing we liked. But now they're going to split them up when the women's tag team champions, one of them is injured, and they actually need women's tag teams. Anyway, after that all happened, Ripley came in 
and hit a riptide on Jax, her finisher, which was insanely impressive that she was able to do. So Ripley ends up hitting her finisher anyway, but they don't use it to end the match. (laughs) So Ripley looks strong. She did get a big pop on two different occasions. All of that was a plus, but not giving her a stronger win was so silly when at the end of the match, they didn't end up protecting Nia at all anyway. So this was good by default because the booking worked. It just, we didn't need the roll up. That's just, you have to give me that one little thing where like, you're really happy and something's really good. Ah, Silver King, you can't love it 100%. It, it's such you know? a WWE way to finish it, where it's a roll-up win, but then you do your finisher anyway. <laughs> what are we doing? Like, come on, come on. Also, I liked early in the match when uh, Rhea headbutted Nia and she didn't react. And it was basically, you know, the whole wrestling trope, never headbutt a Samoan. Right. And so that, that was that was a fun little thing. Um, yeah, this was good. I, we've We've started off with good on... Everything on this show so far. Oh, it's it's changing right now. It, it's changing. Yeah. Just know that all the bad and the ugly are coming, but we're we're starting off with the good. And so far, um, especially with Raw, it's basically the women's stuff. It, yes, it is. So four straight goods to start this segment. Let's change that. We had Drew McIntyre against Veer and Shanky in a handicap match. McIntyre now has plaid on his tights. It's migrated from the kilt into the tights. Uh, the crowd didn't care about this match at all and briefly chanted CM Punk. I think there were four noticeable CM Punk chants during the show. Uh, Drew set up for the Claymore when Jinder Mahal predictably attacked him with a chair for disqualification, because God forbid we go an entire show without a DQ. All three of the guys grabbed chairs. So Drew got his sword. He chopped one chair out of Jinder's hands with the sword, then threatened to, I guess, kill Shanky with the sword. Like he put it under his neck, like, I'm going to stab you if you don't leave the ring. There were three huge guys with chairs scared from a guy wielding a way too large sword. Then they're running away from him backstage. Drew cut a nothing promo backstage later. They finally stopped stupid story time with Drew. Thank the Lord for that. But now they're putting the Claymore front and center as his gimmick. From the wrestling in this match to the disqualification to the sword to the guys being cowards. This was fucking awful. And yes, it was ugly. Zero point zero. Yeah, I I don't understand what the story here was. It was that they stole the sword and broke it, but then it was fake. And I'm I'm trying to... Like, when when Drew beat whichever one it was down with the chair like 30 times a couple weeks ago, that was interesting. There was like, there was some heat there. Now it's all like, kooky and weird but i have to say this crowd loves drew crowd likes seeing the sword i i, I can't like I, there was some stuff no on the crowd did not react there, there was to some that. stuff on twitter by people alleging wb's changing the audio i don't know but if you look at the crowd around him there are a lot of people standing up and clapping and doing these things i it, it this isn't ugly for the segment for sure but it just it furthers my belief that WWE is not going to ever go anywhere deep with Drew because they see him essentially as a John Cena type cartoon character right now. But you but you can be that and still be cool. No, I agree. A year ago, we talked 2020 Drew McIntyre was so cool. He was corny but, and cool simultaneously. But he would do the when, countdown. But yes. But he was still a cool guy. Yeah. But yes. But now that they're back in front of crowds, they're leaning into sword. They're leaning into 
story time kind of. I guess they stopped it. It it just it feels like Drew's becoming a, a caricature. Um, and that's what they're going to do with him here. And that's what this feud's going to be. And it's kind of annoying because these guys have a long history together. And Drew mentioned it in the promo. But they're not building off of that. They're building off of swords versus chairs. And it's just not as interesting. I, I, I But I'm going to, again, admit that the crowd was kind of pretty into this, but not my cup of tea. Let's just clarify. You released Bray Wyatt and Braun Strowman and many of the other guys they released. And you're giving this much TV time in a horrible storyline to Jinder Mahal, Veer, and Shanky. And I don't even dislike any of them. Like... No, I'm not like trying him. to hinder Ginger. Don't get me wrong. I, yeah, no, I like Ginger. And I think Veer in particular, he looks good. Like this guy, I think, has yeah. a future actually doing this. Shanky doesn't show me anything. And Ginger, we know his ceiling is a low carter. He's not a mid carter. He's definitely not a main eventer and WWE champion. Disagree. But that's fine. And, and that's okay if you disagree. But <laughs> you're, look who you're getting rid of to instead have this happen. This is dog shit. It's terrible. This is your number one face on your brand. And this is how you're booking him. You got to be better. This was fully ugly in every possible way. I wish TLC was coming up because we could do tables, ladders, chairs, and swords. TLC, yes. They did that (laughs) with stairs one year. Yeah, they did the stairs. That's what I'm saying. Do a sword match at some (sighs) point. Unbelievable. All right, let's get back to what I at least believed was good. Uh, Over on SmackDown, no surprise, we had Rey Mysterio against Jimmy Uso in a singles match. The Mysterio's game plan backstage, and Ray told Dominic he still has a lot to learn. It was an extremely well-rustled match between the two. Jay saved his brother from a 619, but Ray took them both out with a really sick corkscrew plancha. Mysterio then hit Jay with a 619 into his back because he tried to interfere. Then he caught Jimmy in a crucifix pin as Dominic aided in the fall with the extra leverage, same as the Usos have been doing for like two or three weeks, for the win. This was a ton of fun. I thought it was an extremely strong piece of booking. It wasn't more than a 3.25 star B type of match, but it was very smartly done and it was an easy call for me as good. Yeah, I mean, if you look at Raw and SmackDown, there have been so many rematches over the last week, especially on Raw week to week. And then this is, you know, the third or fourth straight Mysterio's Usos match. But it's at least a different matchup, though. It's a different it's a different matchup and it's good wrestling. So like I I can I can deal with it. They're 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 fun guys to watch and 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 turning the 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 the, the pin on the other one. We've reached the point now though after this last one where okay now this feud needs to take the next step into something more than everybody's cheating on each other. Uh, but no, th- this this was good. Well, they're clearly going to have another title match. You know, I don't know right. when that's going to be or if they're going to change it back, but they're definitely going to do something like that. So, but this was good. It was a good match. Short, sweet. Yeah, you know, good. Uh, over on Raw, we had Riddle against Omos, which I was very excited for, by the way. Me too. AJ Styles did not appear with Omos, who had his own entrance music for the first time. It was really strong, I should mm-hmm. know. I thought it was awesome. And he just looked like a badass the whole way they presented him. Omos got booed, which was opposite of the reaction he's gotten every other time we've seen him. And Riddle jumped him before the bell. Riddle went on the offensive quickly, but Omos jacked him outside and over the barricade. Riddle got some offense, but Omas then squashed him with a choke bomb finisher. So they basically jobbed out Riddle here. Their most over babyface. Now, Drew's the number one babyface. Riddle's the most over babyface on Raw. And they squashed him against Omas in front of a hot crowd that could have put Riddle over if he was in a better match. 
not against Omas necessarily, but if they did Riddle against AJ Styles and they let Riddle win, he could have gotten over huge in front of that crowd. Instead, they squash him. There's no Randy Orton return, no AJ Styles at all, just Omas squashing Riddle. I'll give you credit, Chris, because Omas looked awesome mm-hmm. and super athletic in this match, which is exactly the opposite of what I said last week. So I was proven wrong. This was really, really good for him. But the booking here, it was bad. You want Omas to squash someone? That's great. Don't pick one of your top two faces. Right. This is one of those why book yourself into the situation uh, that doesn't help you. So I completely agree. Didn't need to put Riddle in this situation. Crowd's hot. Why not give them a Riddle win? That said, it, folks, if you are if you have not jumped on the Omas bandwagon yet, we've still got some spots available. This guy can go. The way he was running the ropes for a guy that size, you do not see guys move like that. That this was perfectly well wrestled match. Obviously, Riddle's doing more than Omas, but Omas held his own. It's a very good wrestler, and his ceiling is through the roof. I I I, I love. Watching Omas, he's got an incredibly bright future here. All aboard the Omas train. Um, but yes, why do you need to do this to Riddle? I'm giving this a good overall, but it's kind of, yes, uh, uh, annoying that they would do something like that. But if this leads to, I, I assume this is leading to a tag team match at some point. And I'm looking I, that, I guess. But, Where's but, the other guys? <laughs> right. That's the, I, I don't know, but. They built this up over two weeks. You know, he broke the scooter. He's got another one, beats him down. Riddle's really down right now. So Randy's going to come back at some point and turn the tables on him. Uh, and we'll be excited you for Pick that, him up, but, you mean, like lift him yes. up, kind of. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, that makes sense. I mean, I guess there's, uh, I don't know, two weeks, three weeks left to SummerSlam at this point. You got you to gotta get moving, though. Like, you got to get moving I towards agree. this title match. You got to get Orton back in there. Like, the crowd wants Orton and Riddle together. And I don't, I don't think it's seen them. It's it been a while. Actually, it's been a while. No, I'm saying a, a live crowd has not seen Orton and Riddle together. Oh no, you're right. Yep. So, you know that's just frustrating too. But uh, good for Omas, bad for Riddle, and I just thought it was bad booking, top to bottom. But yeah, Omas looked really good, and you were definitely right. He was way more athletic than I thought. But I gotta say, this was also the best presentation of him mm-hmm. from an athletic standpoint, for sure. So you know you gotta put all that together. All right, staying with Raw uh, for a couple segments, Damian Priest. Against John Morrison. So Riddle and Priest had a fun interaction backstage. This started with Miz TV. CM Punk chants returned. They were their loudest, I think, during this segment. It was just not a good segment at all. Priest insulted Miz's manhood and called Morrison a second fiddle to Miz, who lets himself get used. And I actually agree with that in kayfabe. So I thought that was pretty good. (laughs) Me too. Uh, The whole thing was clunky, though. And Miz ended up getting soaked in water. Morrison, for the match, hit an insanely cool, like, rollover bomb using the top rope. Priest came back with a flatliner and South of Heaven, winning with his signature move instead of a finisher, which was really nice to see for a change. I just kind of wish it didn't happen against John Morrison. Sheamus then attacked. Ricochet, back wearing his old gear, not the cool look that he had for all those weeks, made the save. This was the sixth time in the last seven singles matches that Priest fought Morrison or Miz, despite being in a completely different feud now with Sheamus. So I hated that. Then we get a tag team match. Priest and Ricochet against Sheamus and Morrison. Jimmy Smith going to commercial break told us to expect the unexpected. Meanwhile, we come back from commercial and got exactly what we expected. (laughs) The tag team match that really should have been the only booking because the tag team match itself was fresh. 
And it was different. It's something we hadn't seen before. Priest and Ricochet teaming together, Sheamus and Morrison. That's new and different. That should have been the only booking. They did not need the singles match at all. Anyway, Priest did an awesome spinning backbreaker, and then he hit South of Heaven again, but Sheamus broke it. Ricochet took Sheamus out with a moonsault outside, and then Priest hit Morrison with the reckoning for the win. Again, if this was the only match, I'm probably going good. But Morrison lost to Priest twice twice in one night for no good reason whatsoever. All they needed to do was have Priest challenge Sheamus during Miz TV, do the double attack, then the tag team match. Why is that so hard? That is trite wrestling booking. That is so easy to do. Just do that. There was way too much bad in all of this to go with good, even though I really like three of the people that were involved in this. Yeah, it's... All four of the people, I'm sorry. Raw does this all the time where it's singles match turns into a tag match because you want to stretch it to 30 minutes, I assume. It always feels like they're just doing this because they need to fill up time and they're having trouble doing that. Um, Priest, in the Miz TV segment, he starts talking like with... He's from New York. He starts talking with a New York accent in a way that I don't think I've heard him talk before in promos, at least in... in, I didn't watch him in NXT, but he seemed to be talking with more edge and accent than we've seen from him. And it was interesting. And then he starts talking about how he was working. He used to work clubs as a, a bouncer. And I was like, oh, this is like, this is interesting. We're like actually getting kind of a little bit of a backstory to Priest here. I would love to know a lot more of this because we haven't really gotten the Damian Priest story. Like he's been up and they're trying to push him by putting him alongside other people. But I still feel like I don't really know him. And I thought he cut a pretty good promo in the sense that I felt like I kind of got to know him a little bit better. And then everything plays out the way it plays out. Uh, Sheamus like sliding Ricochet into the stairs <laughs> across the, the the floor was actually a really funny spot. Um, I'm giving this a bad because I didn't care about any of it and it didn't matter. But it's very clear they're like, all right, we got to make it for some lost time with Damien Priest. So let's give him two wins over Morrison in one week. Yeah, maybe it just it seemed like, man, there's other people that you can have him beat like. I don't, right. know no, why, I, agree. I don't know why WWE refuses to use like, like Omas should have beaten Umberto Carrillo and Priest should have beaten Angel Garza or Drew Gulak or something like that as the initial match. If you want these people to wrestle twice, use the low card talent and have them take losses. That's what they exist for. Right. But they just refuse to even. And, and they did that. Don't forget when you and I were praising them for like that two week period. Right. It's because they started using everyone and they got everyone on TV. And the show felt a little bit fresh and different. They're, they're, they're completely reverted back to not doing that. Granted, we did get a Kiro Tozawa, but that's, that's one individual, not you know the entirety of their roster. So all of that is just really frustrating to me. But yeah, this was bad. Um, and there's really no other way to put it, despite I really like Damian Priest and Ricochet and John Morrison and Sheamus. So there's really no reason for this to have been bad, but it was. Uh, we'll move on. To Karrion Cross against Keith Lee. Now, <laughs> I was dumbfounded that this was happening again. Just like I was floored last week that it happened in the first place. Cross cut a promo with an hourglass. WWE, to their credit, showed clips of Keith Lee beating Randy Orton last year. Almost to remind you, hey, we've booked this guy like shit over the last two weeks, but he's actually really good and you should like him. Which is not something you should need to do. You should book someone like the way you want the crowd to react to them. Now, there was a short NXT chant early in the match. They did mention that both of them were former NXT champions. 
but did not mention that Cross beat Keith Lee for the title, which is kind of important considering they're having a two-match, probably three-match feud coming up. Uh, Lee impressed early and Cross hit a Saito suplex into the stairs. Lee uh, got the crowd pumped up a bit and pounced Cross, but he ate the forearm to the back of the head and got put in the Cross jacket, which obviously in that moment, I'm scared. I'm like, I can't believe freaking doing this again. Lee, though, broke it with the crowd's help. The crowd did juice him up and he lifted Cross for a huge spirit bomb and the win to a big ovation. It's probably the second best spirit bomb in that he's done so far in WWE, the first being to Roman Reigns. Yes, yep, that's the one. So that was a big spot, and I got to give them credit for that. This was far better than what last week's match, and not only because Lee won, but we have to be honest, the booking makes zero sense. It's pure 50-50 garbage, and the NXT champion is now 1-2 and two on the main roster, and 1-1 one and one against the guy he beat for the title. Now, if their gimmick, if what they were going to do was have him and Jeff Hardy fight. And obviously Jeff has COVID, so he had to go away. And Jeff beat him a couple times, uh, apparently, until maybe Scarlet comes in. We talked about this. And rescues him and builds him up again. That would have made sense if they continued it with Keith Lee. Why didn't they just have Keith Lee beat him last week and beat him again this week if you need to have a rematch? You can say, Cross beat Keith Lee for the NXT title. He deserves a rematch. You can book it. You can do two rematches. That makes sense. Instead. Despite, I got to say, I'll give this good for the sake of positivity, but we're going to get an obvious rubber match next week. Cross is probably going to win, and I'll say it's shitty and either bad or ugly. Yeah, I mean, like, did I like this match? Yeah. Do I care about what either of these two guys are doing in the larger context? No. Um, so, I mean, I, I I guess it's a, I guess, I don't know. This is one where it's like, I guess it's a good because I like the match, but they're not furthering anything. I don't understand the the cross stuff, the promos, the lack of the lack of Scarlet. I I'm not going to think they're going to have some tell some story where she comes in to rescue him. I I don't know. It's the 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 rollout of this has been terrible with or without Jeff Hardy. It's I don't know what they're trying to tell me. Are they trying to make us fear him because he's the NXT champion and he has an hourglass and tells a promo? Or am I not because he's lost twice in three weeks? Like, I don't know what I'm supposed to feel with this guy. And so, like, the cross stuff is an, an ugly. Yeah, it is. Yeah. The, the 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 match was good. I guess I guess I'll settle in between with a with a bad. It was just kind of like it, it goes back to what we said at the beginning where so much of what we talk about with WWE is what is this, what is the greater picture here that we're trying to talk about? And we don't really know here. And it's just, it's weird. Well, we do know that, you know, Jeff Hardy being absent changed plans, right? But that doesn't mean that you can't react. Not in kayfabe though, but, but like. No, not I, in kayfabe. That's what I'm saying. Yes. Yeah. Right. Not in kayfabe. So in reality, we can give them a little bit of a break on having to change things, but we, but we can't give them a break on the booking. Because the booking is just shit for Karrion Cross. It makes no sense. Right. I'm really happy Keith Lee got a win. I thought it was a better match. Lee got to look good. They did a good job putting him over and the crowd responded. So it was really good for Keith Lee. Whereas last week, it didn't help either person. So I'm going with good almost just to be like positive because I love Keith Lee so much. But yeah, it's very similar to the Priest one that we just talked about. It could go good or bad, depending on your perspective on it. I'm I'm concerned about what's going to happen next week when we inevitably get this for a third time. That's the biggest concern I have. All right, we'll go back to SmackDown here. 
We had Biggie Cesaro and Shinsuke Nakamura against Apollo Crews and the Dirty Dogs in a six-man tag team match. So they did run the match that was teased last week. I had a feeling they would do this even though they did it uh, as a dark match during the Rolling Loud stuff last week on SmackDown. Rick Boog started shredding on the guitar. That led Commander Aziz to take him out. After some counters, Nakamura caught Cruz with Kinshasa for the win. So this was really short, but it was, I got to say, a fun time filler to get the entire mid-card on television. And the fans loved it. I thought Cesaro was the next IC challenger after what happened last week. But now it seems to me like it's Shinsuke Nakamura. It's good for what it was, but it wasn't much of anything. Yeah, it's it's like some when these happen on Raw and it's like good match, but it didn't mean anything. Do we give it a good? Do we give it a bad? I, I don't know. It was you you want some stories to develop out of this mid card now because they've been doing this for several weeks and the Intercontinental Champion was pinned once again, uh, which is I feel like you don't need to do that unless we're going to get uh, unless it's Nakamura versus Cruz says he pinned him and that's how anybody gets a title shot these days. Uh, I guess Commander Aziz is done wrestling, that he's not in this tag match. I don't know. He's only wrestled once, I think, right? Well, it was a six-man. The people they had made sense. Right, but I was just... You figure the guy with Cruz would be... I don't know. And and, and then also, you got to develop something out of this because Biggie has won the money in the bank. But in the couple of weeks since, he's only been involved in this multi-man stuff. He's not... It doesn't well, no, feel- he cut a promo saying, you know, he was going after the title and he got cheers and all that. Don't forget, that's what started the segment last week. Right, right. But I'm just, it's not like, okay, so what's he doing next now? What's he doing for SummerSlam? Right. Like, I, right. I, 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 maybe we'll find out this week. I don't know. I'm just coming out of that. I'm like, all right, where does Biggie go next? It's been a couple of weeks now and I still don't know where he's going. But it, it, it was, I mean, I'm, I'm going to give this a good, it was, it was, it was fine. It was fun. It was, crowd liked it. I just, now I'm like, okay, now let's do something else with these guys. No, you're 100% right. I mean, we need a strong intercontinental title feud to develop. We still need Sheamus and Priest to actually start a real, you know, feud for the U.S. title. Um, and yeah, Big E needs a program. Like, he's got to go against someone. If you want to give Big E against uh, the Dirty Dogs, where he goes back and forth between Rude and Ziggler for a month, that's totally fine, right? Uh, you know, not a handicap match, but a couple singles matches on TV. Um, maybe he gets a tag team partner for a pay-per-view kickoff show match, or I don't know what you do, but yes, you now that Biggie has the briefcase, again, one of the great purposes of the briefcase is not just for it to elevate the person and possibly make them champion, but you can use it to create a storytelling device for that person over a long period of time. That does not mean people challenging for the briefcase like the Miz did, which was stupid and we hated how that turned out, but people saying you don't deserve it, you got lucky kicking off a feud that way, Biggie trying to work his way into position to be that main eventer. You need to spotlight Biggie now consistently going forward. This is a guy who should be main eventing television matches on SmackDown. And you need to start doing that really starting this week, to your point. So they got to get moving on that. Uh, 24-7 championship. We got a bit of a double segment here. I'm going to run through the entire thing and you can uh, chime in at the end here. So we started with Reggie having a match on SmackDown. So Reggie cuts a pretty darn good promo about needing a rearview mirror as champion. Then a production crew member ran behind him that he didn't see. Now, I'd love to know if that was a mistake, but I'd like to think it's on purpose. Um, Anyway, this is the first time the 24-7 title was defended on SmackDown since June 2019. So two years. Reggie's challenger was a mystery. And all of a sudden, Alpha Academy entered 
Otis said Gable was challenging and then shoulder checked Reggie before the bell. Gable hit an electric chair slam. Reggie flipped out of an avalanche German suplex and hit his own somersault sent on ready to pin Gable when Otis tossed him out for the disqualification. Now, I'm not sure what was worse. The match being two minutes long with Chad Gable involved, Gable almost losing to Reggie, or a DQ in a 24-7 title match, or the fact that this entire thing was completely unnecessary. I thought we might get Gable or Otis with a title and maybe the continued improvement of 24-7 because don't forget, last Monday, with our truth and all that, we were positive about it for the first time in a long time. Instead, we got a bad segment that completely disappointed me because it actually had promise with Reggie and Gable going head to head. Now we're going to move forward to Raw, where we had another 24-7 championship scheduled match, Reggie against Akira Tozawa. This was terrible, and it was purely bad comedy. Reggie won with that somersault sent on pin. His athleticism is cool, and I like that they're using the 24-7 title in a bit more of a real way, but there is no excitement to it whatsoever. The SmackDown thing was bad. This on Raw was ugly. I, I, I disagree. I, I mean, I agree with you that the SmackDown bit was disappointing because you would have loved to get a lot more out of it because I think, I think Reggie and Chad Gable could do a lot of really fun stuff and I'd love to see more of it. And at least this DQ made sense because he was about to lose as opposed to DQ for no reason at all, which is what WWE too often does. Um, I, I, it was so short and there wasn't anything I hated. I'm not going to give it a... I'm not going to give it an ugly. It's, it's kind of between that bad and good. It's just kind of whatever. And then the raw bit was a lot more direct comedy. Um, but I still like, Re- I mean, I like Reggie and I like watching him. He's, he does, he's just, he's different. And when he shows up on my screen, I kind of be like, oh, I kind of want to see what he's going to do. And there's not a lot of people on raw that I feel that way. Um, what, uh, in my notes so okay so the promo he cut on smackdown was strangely quite long i kind of dozed out in the middle of it and kind of forgot what was going on and i don't know if they wanted to just have him cut a promo to see what he could do or or what but it was kind of weird he's apparently no longer french anymore well, kofi i actually have something on that so hold on kofi, one second okay uh, there's a social media promo that reggie cut explaining why he's no longer french so listen okay to i didn't see this yeah listen to this Look, I'm not from France. I'm from St. Louis, Missouri. And I've been a fan of WWE my entire life. And I saw a posting that Carmella needed a sommelier. I thought, I can do that. But she wanted me to speak French and also speak in a French accent. I'm like, if I need to do this, I, I certainly can. But that was never the goal. My goal was to get a foot into the door. And now I'm the 24-7 champion. So, okay, first of all, I like that. thank you. Right? Yeah. Like, like, yeah, that's not that hard. OK, because you're right. They did the same thing with Kofi. They did the same thing with Lana. Well, Co- Kofi tweeted. He's like, wait, he's not French anymore. Imposter basically poking fun at right. the whole Jamaican thing. But my point is they never explained either of those away. They fully explained it here with Reggie. Now, granted, it's a social media promo, but OK, whatever. Well, right? why not? Ha- yeah. Why not have him cut that on the SmackDown promo? But I'm, I'm OK that they didn't. OK, the fact that they just did it at all. That, is, that's the most. No, is a positive. But Chris, yes. I want to say something else. Yeah. He fooled me. I thought he was French. So did I. <laughs> He's well, a good he, actor. 
yeah, and well, and he's in Cirque du Soleil, so I kind of just right. thought it was. I just I, I didn't I didn't look. I probably could have just looked it up and saw he was from St. Louis, but I didn't because it worked. Why would and you look it up? You wouldn't, it, right? Yeah. Right, and this is what I'm saying. Where if they just have him cut that on SmackDown, then all of a sudden you're like, oh, I can I connect and understand Reggie as a character. This is interesting, and then he goes out and does what he does. So I'm glad they did it. I don't know why they didn't just do that on SmackDown because that that's super interesting. Um, so and, and then the Raw stuff was yeah, it was nothing. I I mean I guess it's I don't it's a it's bet- again it's to me it's between bad and good it's whatever. I'm not expecting anything big to come out of these 24 seven segments. I just want to watch Reggie do some cool stuff and and maybe. Uh, ha- have a, a a match in here too. I- I'd like to see more of Reggie versus Gable, but overall, I'm I'm still buying Reggie in in, in the 24 seven situation. I'm buying Reggie, but the first case that we saw of him from Raw last week was really good, shockingly good actually. But these just weren't like these were bad follow ups to that. I do get what you what you said though about well Gable would have lost if not for the DQ. Why are you putting Chad Gable in a position to lose to Reggie? Sure. Have him beat Reggie. Have him take the 24-7 title. You know how cool it would be to see Chad Gable on Raw in real matches for the 24-7 title? Like, yeah. Because they've had real matches now, three in a row. Yep. Not and the role of bullshit. Yeah. And one other thing about Gable, I, they, I think they really blew an opportunity here to hype up his Olympic background while the Olympics are going on. They did mention it. They, right, but I, I feel like you could have done something just like give him a big time match of course you know? let him beat somebody yeah let him beat somebody let him really sh- have him versus ziggler like just have them go out for have him versus minutes. shinsuke or you know what cesaro let him beat cesaro you want to do what you want to do a three match rematch program on wwe tv I, i'm not even give me oh, gable and cesaro three weeks in a row i'll watch yep it. sure and i i'd I, I love a gable promo i love gable i i'm just thinking even just a one-off you know for the olympics a guy a way to make your guy look good have him and ziggler with their Wrestling backgrounds go totally. off for 10, 15 minutes, and it could help, but they decide to put him in a Reggie situation. All right, two more things before we get out of here. We had Mustafa Ali and Mansoor against Mason T-Bar. Now, the hometown Chicago crowd chanted, not just popped for him, chanted for Ali. T-Bar took him out twice. Then Ali and Mansoor hit double tope suicidas. Ali then came back with a sick tornado DDT as T-Bar was hanging on the middle rope. T-Bar kicked Mansoor into the ropes, which knocked Ali off. Mace then distracted Mansoor, and T-Bar hit a discus clothesline for the win in a very short match. Ali then ate high justice at the end, saving Mansoor from an attack after the bell. So a little bit of development there. It was nice that Ali got the chant. And really, if you're listening and you're going to WWE shows and Ali comes out, chant for him. Because the only way the WWE knows that fans really like someone is if they make it known verbally during a show. Sometimes even then they don't follow up. But usually if you get Rusev Day, Cesaro, Daniel Bryan, um, you know, Becky Lynch, when a crowd gets behind someone, WWE normally recognizes. And it seems like that's going to be what is necessary for Ali to get over. So it's nice that he got the chant, but this thing only got three minutes. It didn't give anyone a chance to get over. It's ultimately another rematch, another piece of 50-50 booking. And it was really a total waste of time, especially considering, and this is the thing that always bothers me, they give us something that could be better and could be something, and instead it's absolutely nothing. Fucking zero! Yeah, pretty much. I mean, It's bad, it's, if I didn't it, clarify. It, it, 
it itself wasn't bad. It's more the larger picture that's bad when it when it's like, you know, could do more. But I'm never going to care about T-Bar and Mace at all, ever. Like, do something different with them. Ali and Mansoor are, in, are kind of interesting together, but you never give us enough time or enough reason to be interested in them. It is what it is. I guess I'll give it a... I'm, I'm giving it a bad for the for the for the larger context not for what they actually did what did you give the entirety of the reggie segment stuff that we talked about i give it i give the reggie stuff a good i i i find him interesting especially like the raw bit was kind of dumb comedy but when he right now when he shows up on my screen i'm paying attention and there's not really especially on raw there's nobody who does that for me there are more people on smackdown but i find him interesting at the moment all right, and then let's wrap this up with Tamina against Dewdrop in a singles match. Eva Marie cut a promo about Alexa Bliss and Lily being disgusting. There were definitely CM Punk chants during this one. Uh, Eva's coaching distracted Dewdrop late, and Tamina picked her up for a really impressive Samoan drop for the win. Bliss made fun on the Titantron of Eva. She was laughing at her and stuff. Eva later attacked Bliss and Lily in the playground, where you would think with their supernatural powers and shit, they'd know that was coming, right? And would be able to stop her. Uh, but attacks both of them. And then Lily is laying on the ground and she sits up on her own. They didn't even address the tag team title situation with Natalia injured. They noted she's injured, but didn't say anything about what's coming next. She ain't coming back soon, so they got to do something. The booking of Eva and Dewdrop, it did make sense in the match because one has to assume that they break up sooner or later. They're still giving us all these little, you know, Easter eggs of dissension between them. But there was nothing redeeming here with Dewdrop going ahead and doing the bidding for Eva Marie later in the show. This whole thing, start to finish for me, was just ugly. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to give it a bad... I mean, I, I enjoyed the match between Tamina and Dewdrop. And Dewdrop can really go. She's really She's good. fun to watch. Yes. Like, I, feel, I feel so bad that she injured Natalia on that, on that roll-up last week. And hope Natalia, obviously, will, will come back sooner uh, than later. Um, but the, the match was good. It's just kind of, all right, match is over. Now we do the actual thing, which is the same thing we did last week. We add a little bit at the end. It's whatever. I don't care about this stuff really at all. I'm, I'm, I'm giving it a bad. I think the larger question is, um, t- should they pause the women's tag team championship belts? Like like in, in kayfabe, Tamina and Natalia should have to give it up. But of course. But who is going to take them? There's there's like no tag teams left. So should you just kind of <laughs> move the belts out of commission or just have Tamina hold them as she did on Monday the whole time? I, other than that, like there's there's literally no reason to have the, the women's tag team belts right now. I mean, I think Natalia broke her ankle or or broke something. Like, I don't think it's a sprain, right? She had surgery. Right. So she's not out for like a month or even two months where you could probably stretch it and make it work. She's out for a period of time. I don't know. I think you do a tournament and you just have every woman who's not in a uh, title match right now. So everyone except the two women's champions, Rhea Ripley, Charlotte Flair, and I guess Sasha Banks, all of them team up and maybe you even bring up, I've been begging them to bring up uh, Casey Cantazaro and Caden Carter from NXT and you put them all in a tag team tournament. You just have them pair up. And you have Shotzi and Knox win the titles and have them go on a long run where people keep trying to go after them. But there's no reason they can't do an eight-team tournament or a, even a four-team tournament 
two semifinals and a finals. There's really not a good yeah. reason, but for the, the fact that they didn't even mention it, like right. you got to do something. Anyway, I, you know what? I'd love, I'd love a tag team tournament, and then Eva and Dewdrop win it at the end, just to, just just to see what the reaction is. <laughs> if they beat Shotzi, and <laughs> to win a tournament is one. To win a match is one thing. To win a tournament, is yeah, quite enough. yeah, I think it'd be fun. Um, just 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 for the just for the reactions, but um, yeah. Other than I don't really know what else to do, but I, I like the match. I mean, Tamina has improved mightily over the last few years. That was a perfectly fine match between the two of them. It was, yes, no question about it. Uh, now, that is the end of the good, the bad, and the ugly. Before we get out of here, Ric Flair actually released a statement while we were on the air addressing his WWE release. And he says, and by the way, every word in this is capitalized. <laughs> so it's like very old man style. Uh, I am officially able to respond to all the press related to my requested release from WWE, which they have given me. I want to make it really clear with everyone that I'm not upset with WWE at all. They solely are responsible for putting me in the position of life that I'm in right now, where I'm seen in the brightest light ever. We have a different vision for my future. I wish them nothing but continued success. Thank you for everything. Nothing but respect. So for anyone thinking that there was acrimony there or bad feelings or whatever the case, clearly not. Um, I mean, look, we can briefly talk about Flair before we get out of here very quick. I think he makes a couple of AEW appearances. I don't think he should be used regularly on AEW. Yeah, I mean, I guess I assume he'll probably make some AEW appearances. You got Shivani on there, TNT, do all that kind of stuff. The other two, still, uh, most of the other horsemen are there anyway. Yeah, yeah, that's true. You, yeah, that's a good point. Maybe like an all out or something. You have a, a four horseman deal there. That That's a good point. I could definitely see that happening now. I still would love to see him pop in once or twice on NWA. I'd love that. I, uh, other than that, um, uh, more car shield commercials with LA Knight, maybe. <laughs> That's even more incredible right now. That it was it was weird in the first place that they were the two in that commercial. Now it's even weirder, which is just absolutely, <laughs> absolutely outstanding. So that was it, really. That's the week in WWE. I will admit, breaking the fourth wall a little bit. I spoke to Chris before the show, and we both agreed. Hey, let's kind of make this expeditious a little bit. Let's kind of try to run through this a little bit quicker than normal. We have a lot of professional wrestling that's going on these days, not just obviously AEW and WWE and NXT, but New Japan is starting back up. There's a lot of really cool, exciting things happening, and we do a lot of podcasts. So, you know, we have coming up, of course, later this week, the NXT and AEW show Thursday morning. The Silver King will be back with you for that. We will bring in Chris Vanini for uh, more AEW than we have in the past. Once he gets caught up, although we do have the college football season starting up for both of us, soon so we're gonna have to manage our schedules and figure out how all of that is going to work but look SummerSlam is right around the corner a couple weeks away we're gonna do a week of shows for SummerSlam just like we did for Wrestlemania and Money in the Bank you can bet on that interview episode special episode probably a go-home show and of course the instant analysis so we have a busy week uh busy month I should say I'm sorry of professional wrestling ahead and I'm excited to bring it all to you guys a reminder though before we get out of here we can only do so much to grow the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. A lot of it is on you, the listeners, as well. So do not forget that the Getting Over Wrestling podcast is all about the five. So drop those five-star ratings and reviews for us on Apple Podcasts. Let people know how much you love the show. And please spread it around through word of mouth. Also, do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. I think we're like 60 followers away from 1,000. That's a nice threshold. We want to get there. Follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. 
So that is it for today's show. So let's just end it there. For Vintage Cristalini, this is the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, leaving you with three final words. Bye for now.